Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 9. He was born blind so you can see. An amazing miracle that within itself defines the sovereign grace of God. Christ here in this passage has left the temple. He's coming through a gate and the gates into the temple were always busy, a lot of people. That's where the beggars would situate themselves. The story here is about a blind beggar. That's where most of the people could see him at the, at the gate. <clears throat> These were devout people, else they wouldn't be going in and out of the temple. So they were, they had goodness on their hearts and the beggars knew this. And so it was a good place for them to be situated so that they could collect alms and receive money from worshipers going in and out. This is sort of a watershed chapter in John because now Christ is turning away from the crowds and tuning in more and more to teaching his disciples on a small group, personal level. We've just in the last several verses been through the Feast of Tabernacles and all that Christ did there as he mingled with the people and used everything that was going on as an analogy of his ability to save and, and of his, his messiahship, his deity, <clears throat> if you will, <clears throat> Coming out of the temple now, you will recall that previously he has engaged the Pharisees and the scribes and directly told them that he was the Almighty, he was God, and he'd come in the flesh. He's Messiah. Of course, they're trying to stone him, and he just as we closed out the last chapter, he hid himself as he came out of the temple. That is, he was hidden from their sight. It's not his time yet to die. He's five and a half months from the cross about that here as he exits the temple. He's in danger. The powers that be within the temple and within Judaism are conspiring to kill him. And yet they haven't had the best opportunity yet. So he's in danger, and yet still he ministers to people. Remember now that he's turning more to his disciples. Let's, let's summarize what Christ has been teaching in the previous verses and chapters. 
He has taught the people that he is the only way. There is no other way to salvation. He has presented himself with power through miracles as the son of God. There's no denying the miracles. As a matter of fact, when Jesus came onto the scene as the Messiah, as the Christ, when he was 30 years old, that part of the world exploded with miracles, thousands, maybe tens of thousands of miracles, resurrections, healings, deliverances, miracles that defied nature and stopped storms, all kinds of miracles. John, you remember at the end of this gospel says, there's no way that everything that he did could be contained in something that a man could write. Miracle, miracle, miracle. Both Luke and Matthew talk about those who came to him all day long, every day, with problems, with, with disease and physical maladies and demons. And the Bible says simply in both gospels, Luke and Matthew, it just says, and he healed them all. He never turned anyone away. There was nothing he couldn't do when it came to a, a personal and physical problem. He healed them all, thousands, thousands. I read the works of, a, of an old scholar from centuries back, maybe back in the 18th century, and he made this, he surmised this. He said, funerals ceased to be in the presence of Jesus. Of course, we have a, a couple of occasions in, in the scriptures. John only presents eight miracles, eight of Christ's miracles. But they all are defining Jesus as God in the flesh, almighty God in the flesh. As a matter of fact, John chapter one presents him as God. In verse 14, who became flesh, who was made into flesh and then came to his own, his own received him not. And there's no, there's no greater and yet sadder commentary to that truth than what we are seeing here in this portion of scripture. Coming out of the gate now of the temple, all of the crowds, they've been listening to Jesus teach. He presented himself as the bread of life. He presented himself as the living water. You may remember all of those things that Christ had taught the people. He's teaching people that we cannot save ourselves. There is no manner of works or behavior. There is nothing that we can do from within ourselves. We cannot perform in any way that would gain heaven for us. There is nothing. Jesus has clearly stated in John's gospel, we saw it previously, that no man can come to the Father unless the Father draws him. That's pretty clear. Salvation top to bottom is all of God and none of man. This is what humbles us and causes us to realize how praiseworthy our God is. That we would stand in his presence saved because of his sovereign will and his sovereign grace. There's no greater story about that than here what we'll see in this miracle. It's very simple. 
It's straightforward and it's beautiful. So then physical blindness, the whole thing is an analogy of us and a divine and sovereign God. Before I get into the passage, let me just go through. Here is a man who cannot know anything. He can't see. He doesn't even know the world he lives in. He can't help himself. There's nothing he can do. As a matter of fact, he can't even recognize Jesus unless Jesus chooses to reveal himself to this guy. He's helpless. He's hopeless. He's a beggar. Then of all of the beggars and of all the blind people who were seated there at the gates, it was this gate through which Jesus exited the temple and it was that blind man whom Christ drew to himself. Of all of the others, it was the choice of Christ. This man couldn't choose Jesus. He didn't, he, he was blind. He couldn't see anything. So Jesus comes to this man. All of the initiative is on the part of God, not on the part of man. This man was just sitting there hoping that the world could do something for him. Not even realizing that God could make him whole until God took the initiative and came to him and healed him. Keep that in mind now as we go through this passage of scripture. Passing by, saw a blind man, a man who is blind from birth. Blindness was all too common in this era. Historians will tell you clearly. Here's why. It's rather plain to talk about, but the truth is venereal disease was common. It was terrible. A particular disease, gonorrhea, was something that, the, that women suffered from especially and if that woman gave birth to a child, the child passing through the birth canal would be affected by that disease and he would be born blind. He would never ever know what anything looked like. He wouldn't know the difference between light and dark. All he knew was darkness. Now, uncleanness in those diseases would cause Folks, especially the, the purified Jews, it would cause them to look down on people and say, well, you're a sinner. You've been fooling around too much. So who, who is the sinner here? Did this guy do something? And his blindness is a consequence of his sin? Or was it his parents? Was it a... Was it a bad disease that caused him to be born blind? Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he should be born blind? There was a rabbinical teaching, a theology developed by the rabbis up to this day until Jesus here puts an end to it. 
And they based it on Exodus 20, which is, which is a total misreading of Exodus 20 about the sins of the fathers and visited down and all that. I mean, we could, we could go into the, the exegetical persuasions of, of the Hebrew and Exodus and then we can compare, but I'm not going to do that. Just take my word for it. And if you want to argue with me, then we'll sit down. Has nothing to do with the sins of the fathers or anything like that. But this was the theological persuasion of the rabbis in this day. As a matter of fact, even though it was before the law, Job's friends, if you remember, carried that same kind of theological persuasion. Okay, Job, what'd you do wrong? You lost everything. You lost your family. <laughs> the, the only thing he didn't lose was his wife. <laughs> Why don't you just curse God and die? So his friends come to him out there and he's sitting on a smoldering dung heap where all the flies were and they're supposed to, the maggots are supposed to eat away the, the, the pus and the, the, the infection. Y'all lunch is following. Um, <laughs> and he's throwing this ashes on him. He's trying to get rid of the boils and the infection and everything. What'd you do wrong? You old sinner man. The truth is the whole thing happened for the glory of God. Think about that. Get to the end of the book of Job. And, and probably some of the greatest cosmological statements related to God and his creative power are at the, in the closing book, in the closing chapters of the book of Job. Where were you? When I laid the foundations of the earth, have you entered into the treasures of a snowflake? Name the stars if you can. Well, the whole thing was the glory of God. Job's friends had it wrong. The rabbis have it wrong. The disciples have it wrong. Jesus sets it right. Who's the sinner here? The parents or the man that he should be born blind. Now remember this, Jesus is in danger. They're trying to figure out a way to kill him. And he's there pressed upon by the crowd, but he's turning his, his attention to the disciples, which he must do because five and a half months later, he dies on the cross. Now, Jesus answered, neither one of them, neither this man nor his parents sinned but it was that the works of God should be displayed, or as the Greek text said, should be made clearly visible in him. Now, don't you think about this? This guy was born blind. He had never seen anything. He couldn't identify anything. He couldn't tell you what red was or blue or whatever. He couldn't tell you what sunshine was or a flower or a building. He, he didn't even know, he didn't even know the form of a human except that perhaps he had felt it, but he'd never seen it. He didn't know anything about being able to see. He lived all of his life blind to this point. 
He is somehow situated and seated in just this place at just this time. And Christ has been talking to the people about God drawing you to himself. It's all of God and none of man. And he's been talking about how people don't know unless it's revealed to them how to be saved. They can't come to God unless God draws them. Here's what happens. God himself, God the Son, stops to answer the question. I'm going to tell you why this man is right here at this gate, at this moment, at this point in time. So that the works of God can be made clearly visible in him. Now, surely he has the attention of the disciples. It behooves us to work the works of the one having sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one is able to work. While I shall be in the world, I am the light of the world. Five and a half months later, Jesus knows this. Next Passover, he will die. His disciples will only have their lifetimes to reveal the light of Christ to others. And what they, are, can, what they can do for Christ will stop. They'll die. You and I have this life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. We have this day in which we live, but the night is coming. And we'll have to lay down our crosses. And we'll have to lay down our very lives. And we'll not do anything again in this world, in this life, for the sake of those who are still in the world. This is what Christ says. You have this chance. You have this life. You have those who are in this world today. It is day. But when night comes, no one is able to work. While I shall be in the world, I am the light of the world, the great work of the church is to proclaim the gospel, doing the best that we can do to call people to the light who is Christ. Oh, that God would draw them out of that darkness and into the light. This very moment, this very man all his life, his birth up to this point, this gate, everything here has come to this moment so that the works of God should be displayed. Now, here comes the sight. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes. Now, why did he do that? Listen to me. I'm going to draw deeply upon the declensions and upon the voice tense and mood of the Quinny Greek. And I'm going to tell you, I don't know why he did that. 
Unless perhaps because he's blind, he cannot see, therefore he must feel what is being done to him. This is the experience that he could have, that he could feel the touch of Christ. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. In the days of Hezekiah, there was a fear that the Assyrians would siege the city of Jerusalem and they would have no water supply. So Hezekiah ordered a project that workers would dig under the walls of the gate of the walls of the city, under the wall of the city, and dig a tunnel to this great spring that they called Gehon, the spring of Gehon. And that spring would bring this great gush of water in and the cistern, the pool was prepared. And from that great spring, the pool of Siloam was filled and it always stayed full because of this spring. And Siloam means to be sent. That is to say, the water was being sent from Gahon to Siloam. Now rewind a few verses here. Christ had been teaching in the temple during the Feast of the Tabernacles. I'm sure you will remember when we studied the pool of Siloam a little earlier, I may call on someone to stand and tell us See, y'all can't go to bed until you stand up and tell me what to. Christ came. It was the pool of Siloam. They would draw the water and bring it in. It was all part of the Feast of the Tabernacles because they would use this and pour the water out, gather it from there and pour it out in the temple, the court of the women. That's where they would worship and show how God provided water for them. Oh, yeah, Pastor, I remember that. Good. This was for them to remember during the Feast of Tabernacles also how God gave them water when the water was struck. You know, Paul says to the Corinthians, that water, that rock is Christ. So Christ, as they did that, remember, said, I am the living water. I am the water of life. So he tells them to go to this particular pool because that's where Christ proclaimed, I am the water of life. I am the living water. It'll spring forth from your bellies. You remember all of that? He quoted the Old Testament. It comes through and it just keeps going through us and we tell others about the Christ of God. So he went and washed and came back seeing his sight was restored. Now, this guy had never seen anything. Can you imagine? The look on his face, the look in his eyes. When he went to the pool of Siloam and he washed the spittle of Christ, the clay that Christ had formed off of his eyes. And he took the water and the clay and he blinked a few times and he looked and he saw. And a uh, a whole new world had opened up for him. 
for the first time, he never knew what it was like to be delivered from darkness and into the light. The light to which Christ had brought him, which Christ had given to him in his sight. So here's a guy who's been delivered by the power of Christ. It was Christ who chose him. He couldn't choose Christ. He was blind. Christ came right to him. It was the moment. It was the day. It was the situation. It was the event. All of sovereign grace. Christ said he's this way. He's blind. This guy is right here just this way. So that you can see the works of God. Now remember all that Christ had taught them. In previous days, during the time of the Feast of the Tabernacle and so forth, he had been teaching the people about their spiritual blindness. About the thirst they had that they could not quench unless they came to living water. Unless the hunger that they had, unless they came and recognized that hunger that it could only be filled and dispelled with the bread of life. Christ said in John, was John 6, he said, listen, I'm the bread of life. You're going to have to come and eat my flesh and drink my blood. You're going to have to receive me, the essence of who I am. This is the only way you will ever be saved. You will sit there in that blindness and in that darkness until the time of the outer darkness. Unless and until Christ comes and delivers you. So then, this is what I call spiritual blindness. So the neighbors having seen him before that he was a beggar, they were saying, hey, isn't this that guy who was sitting and begging? Some were saying, yep, that's him. But others were saying, now he looks like him. Ah, but that can't be him. And the guy said, yeah, I am. He kept telling them, I'm that guy. I'm the one. He has a, listen, he has a testimony. He has a story to tell. Therefore, they were saying to him, how then were your eyes opened? How is it that you've been delivered out of darkness into light, out of blindness into sight. How is it that this happened? It's a simple answer, and here it is. The man called Jesus. He answered, the man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes, and he said to me, go to Siloam and wash so having gone and having washed, I received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. One answer, one name, one Lord, one Savior, one 
divine act of sovereign will and grace. Now, where is he? What did Christ say earlier? You see, we're, we're, all, we're all blind in that sense. We cannot see until Christ comes to us graciously and brings us out of our darkness and into his light. There's, there wasn't a greater illustration for his disciples about what he had been teaching than this man. He is right there so that the works of God may be made clearly visible to you. Nobody, nobody can do anything for themselves. Christ must come. Jesus and only Jesus. And so it is our job to proclaim Jesus, simply Jesus. Come to Jesus. There are a lot of things that you won't know and don't know when you first come to Christ. But the main thing is that God enlightened you to the point that you knew you needed Christ. You start there. Everything else just falls into place according to the will of God. But first and foremost, Jesus. Who is it that delivers us from our darkness? Jesus. Listen, it's kind of cruel for this guy. He had never seen anything. He didn't. What was it my mother used to say? He didn't know anybody from Adam's house cat. No, something like that. I don't know. He only, he only just recently realized what a human being looked like. Well, I know his name is Jesus. Where is he? Well, he could have been standing right by him, but he wouldn't have known. He didn't see him. It's kind of funny, but it's not. All these people standing around. Where is he? I don't know. What's your name? You know. It's because Christ reveals himself to us. The world can give to us a thousand definitions and characterizations of Jesus. But only Jesus can reveal himself to us. It's the power of Christ that saves nothing else. Listen, this is why... We are so filled with joy and praise as believers because we have been made to realize who our Savior is. We have been made to realize that, you know, we were sitting in darkness and didn't even know it until Jesus came and brought sight and light into my life. 
of all of the beggars who were sitting at the gate that day, the Father called me. I don't know why. The Father called me and placed me in Christ and did for me in time what he had determined in eternity. Has granted to me eternal life. And now I can see. Once I was blind. But now I can see. Jesus. How did you get this way? Jesus. And according to his will and his power, he will come and reveal himself to you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? In just a moment, we'll be dismissed. But perhaps you're here today without Christ. And the call of God has come upon you. May I say to you, there is no misunderstanding the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You can't misunderstand it. Because it's more powerful than you or me. And you know that you must come to Christ. When we leave this place, just across the hall, we have deacons and their wives ready to pray with you. To talk to you about Jesus. If that's what God wants in your life. Maybe you're here. And you want to come and be a part of Shiloh, the Shiloh family. You're already a Christian. They are there to pray with you and to answer any questions that you have. And to help you with that. We'll take care of all of the details of that if that's what God wants in your life. As you exit this room right there across the hall. They'll be standing there and they'll be waiting for you. However God may be speaking to you today. This is your time with God. Let's all stand, would be prayerfully dismissed.